Um, but what God gave me this message, he actually started it back in January, um, the inklings of it. And when Mark asked me to preach, I'm like, okay, what do you want me to preach on? And he just kept bringing me back to this and kept bringing me back to this. So here we go. It's, the name of my sermon is For Honor. And I love the graphic that Mark picked. It's pretty awesome and strong, right, for honor. So what is honor? Sometimes when I, we ask that question, I ask that question of you, can you come up with something that's specifically honor? Or is it kind of a nebulous concept that we don't quite get our heads around? We know what it is. We know when we experience it. We know when we experience dishonor, right? We, we have that feeling, like, what is that? So we, we know kind of what it is, but we can't really define it. So is it just a nebulous concept that, we, that is out there? Or do we not really see it in our society so we don't have that uh, example of it that we live with every day, right? So a, a current definition you could call of honor right now is that everybody lives uh, their own personal ideals, they decide what is right, and they live that way, and they live with integrity according to those ideals, right? That's how we would call honor today, right, in our own life. But is that really true honor? Um, we see honor in history. Our founding fathers actually said this when they wrote the Constitution. They said, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Okay, I get my life. I can pledge my life to you. I can pledge my wealth to you and my fortunes, but my honor? What does that mean? And were they just, with the founding fathers, were they actually just fighting for their own personal ideals, or was it something that was greater, like a country, a possibility of a country that could be different, right? So all these are all good questions. And in our, in our Christian world today, first thing I say, honor, you probably came up with the scripture, honor your father and mother. That's, we all know that, right? We learned that in Sunday school. <laughs> Because it's the first commandment with a promise, right? That's what Paul says in Ephesians. And so that it will go well with you. Okay, so maybe honor has something to do with my life going well. Who knows? So these are all really good questions. So sometimes it's hard to honor your father and mother because since you've lived, you could have not had a good childhood. You could have had a great one, so it's really easy to honor your father and mother. But if you didn't, it's also, what does that mean? How do I honor somebody who hurt me so so deeply, right? So let's, let's explore that. So sometimes it's easier to define a word by what it doesn't mean. So I find sometimes it's easier to say, what does dishonor mean? So um, what does it mean to dishonor someone? What does it feel like to be dishonored? So a picture, a picture sometimes is worth a thousand words. The picture I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you two pictures. The first one, well, they're both about funerals for fallen soldiers. The first picture is one that you've probably already seen, and probably fairly recently. It is not political, but it's just an example of dishonor. So Avery, go ahead and show it. We've all seen this picture. Um, it's kind of sad. Um, but don't we do all do that sometimes? When we're having a conversation with somebody, we look at our watch or we pick up our phone 
or we see somebody who's really needy, who's always really needy, so we avoid them, so we don't have to engage with them. I do that. (laughs) Preaching to the choir here. (laughs) Don't we all do that? Isn't that kind of dishonor? Don't we look at our watches sometimes when we're done with this conversation and I want to move on? I want to just go on. I'm done with it. And we don't take the time to finish that conversation. We all do this. And God talks about this in Scripture. In Isaiah 29:13. We do this to God too sometimes, don't we? He says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but in their hearts they're far from me. <laughs> Ouch. Sometimes. And we have kids. Anybody who has kids, we know what this is, don't we? We know when you say, take out the garbage, and they go, yeah, Mom, I will. And you know, no, they're not going to do it. <laughs> we can tell that they're really not honoring us by doing what we ask them to do, and they're not going to do it. We, we know that look. <laughs> so now let's show you, I'm going to show you a picture of honor. So this is a Navy SEALs funeral. And I'm going to tell you what's happening here. The SEALs approach the graveside of the team one by one, and they remove this gold-colored pin that's on their chest. And they, it's from their dress uniform. It's called their trident. And they get that when they become a Navy SEAL. And they pound it into the coffin of their fallen soldier, And the living mourn with the primary symbol of their brotherhood missing. It's gone. It's with that fallen soldier. They're buried with it. And they take it to the grave. And that Navy SEAL whose pin is sitting there doesn't get it back, doesn't get a new one, until the guy is buried fully. And it's done. Then they get a new one. So this pin is the most tangible sign of membership into this exclusive community. It's really hard to become a Navy SEAL. There's certain things you have to do to get to this point, right? And so this is the ultimate honor. Sad, but it's really, for us it's very sad, but it's really for them an act of honor and honoring their fallen comrade, right? It's quite a contrast between honor and dishonor. Sometimes it's easier to see with pictures than it is with words. So I'm going to talk to you about what the kind of the definition of dishonor is and honor. So dishonor is opposite of attributing worth. So it's not attributing any worth to that person or something. Are you giving it less esteem, which means respect or admiration? Are showing no respect or reverence for them? Or speaking against. I thought that was an interesting one. Actually, speaking against somebody is a form of dishonor. Therefore, if we go to the flip side, honor is attributing worth to. More, and we give more esteem, respect, or admiration to that person or thing. And we show reverence and respect for them or speak or defend for them. So that's pretty powerful, different Uh, seeing both sides of it, it's easier to see. So now that we kind of understand what, maybe have a clearer picture of what honor is, let's figure out where it begins. 
Well, Scripture tells us exactly where it begins. It's not, it's not a mystery. In Proverbs 18.12, 12, it says that honor begins with humility. Okay, that came out of the blue. Before disaster, the heart of the man is haughty and filled with self-importance. But humility comes before honor. So, Dave Powers just shared with me his definition of honor, and I was going to add it because it's pretty powerful. He says it's attributing value or worth to the person and seeing him agreeing with God by how that God sees that person. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, and putting that person above yourself. So, obviously, then, where does dishonor begin? Obviously, with pride, right? If we're going to go opposites here, it actually begins with pride. And I'm going to show you in, some script, in the scriptures how God is pretty, how he reacts to dishonor. It's pretty strong. It's not just, okay, he dishonored me, bummer. <laughs> you know, he's pretty, he's pretty strong about what he believes about honor. So, in Numbers, I'm going to tell you a story. In Numbers 12, uh, Aaron, Miriam, and Moses, it's a story about those three people. They're brothers and sisters. Obviously, they can have some issues together, right? I have ones with, some with mine. Um, so what had happened is um, Moses had married a Cushite woman, and Aaron and Miriam were kind of not happy about it. And so they started grumbling and complaining, and somehow it got from there to them saying, um, hey, God, you speak, why do you just speak through Moses? I, you speak through me. You can speak through me too. You've done that before. So why aren't you doing it now? And so how did it get from I married this Cushite woman to <laughs> there's, some, there's some process that we got through to get to, hey, God, you, you're speaking to me. You, you speak to me and you speak to Moses. Why, why, you do, why, are you doing, why are you honoring him more than me, right? God was not happy. No, no. He got his feathers ruffled. So much so that he called all three of them and said, okay, come on. We're going to have a meeting. We're going to come to the tent of meeting. I want you all three to meet me there because I'm not happy. And so they all show up at the tent of meeting, and God comes down in the pillar of cloud. And he says, he says, Aaron and Miriam, come here. And so they come up, and he says, I'm not happy with you. Why are you doing this to Moses? And this is what his words are. I want you to read, read these with me. Listen, this is what God's saying to Aaron and Miriam. Listen carefully to what I'm telling you. Pay attention. If there is a prophet of God among you, I make myself known to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. So you're just run-of-the-mill prophet, if there is one. <laughs> They're pretty awesome. But I speak to them in visions and dreams. But I don't do that with Moses. Nuh-uh. He has the run of my entire household. I speak to him intimately, in person, in plain talk without riddles. He ponders the very form of God. He can see the very form of God. So why do you show no reverence or respect or honor in speaking against my servant Moses? Not happy. He was not happy. And so at that point, he, God left. And immediately Miriam was stricken with leprosy, like that. And Aaron's like, what? What? What happened? Moses, you've got to do something. And so Moses appealed to God and said, 
God, you know, don't do this to Miriam. And he says, okay, I'll, I'll in, have her go out of, the, out of the group for the seven days, and she can come back in afterwards. So they did. They had to wait before they could move on till Miriam was healed and could come back. Wow. Pretty important to God, right? Don't dishonor. Because he basically is what he was saying is, I speak through Moses, and so you're dishonoring me when you dishonor him. Ouch. Ouch. A whole other one I'm going to tell you really quickly. In Second Chronicles 26 was King Uzziah. He was a young king. He became king when he was very young, a teenager. And he um, did really good things, followed after God and did what he was supposed to do until all of a sudden it switched. It says, and then he became prideful. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Warning. And what he did is he went into the temple and decided he was going to burn the incense. Well, that was only for priests to do that. And so he went in there, he was going to do it. And so the priest came in with 80 other men, priests, and said, uh, you can't do that. That's not what God said. And Uzziah got mad and angry and then started tossing things around. And immediately he was struck with leprosy. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that both of them were struck with leprosy? He actually lived with leprosy his whole entire life. He never was healed. So, my, being my mind, okay, why leprosy? <laughs> Let's go into that. What does leprosy do to you? And so I kind of looked it up, and it says four things. It damages your nerves so you can't feel. It, dum- it numbs those nerve endings. You get muscle weakness. If it gets to your face, it can get in your eyes and ca- cause you not to be able to see. And it can spread between people. So... Let's kind of take that with what, if we dishonor people, does it kind of cause us not to feel? Are we unable to enter in and feel other people's pain and even feel our own? Do we become numb to that, right, if we let dishonor spread in our midst? And we do get muscle weakness, so we're no longer strong and we can't hold up under the, the, the things that happen in this world. We fall and we become weak. And do we get poor eyesight where we can't see clearly what God is doing if we let dishonor fester? And it spreads between people, but I thought it was very interesting. It only, it only spreads between people with their extensive contact. So if I just walked up to you and said, hey, and walked away, you probably wouldn't get it. But if I kind of engaged with you and had more conversation about why you're dishonoring this person... And I kind of say, well, yeah, I kind of get that. I see that. And we kind of go into this spiral of dishonor, right? And then you all of a sudden, this one person who might have that leprosy, that dishonor, now spreads to me, right? So it's, it's kind of interesting how, God, how important it is to God to not dishonor people or him. So in... in uh, studying honor, I came across an article, a couple articles, by Brett McKay. He's a man who wrote a, a book called The Art of Manliness. And he has some very interesting ideas about honor, its history, and how it's declined in our society. He talked about two things, horizontal honor and vertical honor. 
And, there, and there's, two, there's those two types. And we're going to talk about that and kind of, I'm going to kind of bring it into the, what the body of Christ and kind of make a, some correlations to the body of Christ. Um, so horizontal has three elements. Horizontal honor has three elements. You have to have an honor code. You have to have an honor group. And there has to be shame. So the code of honor, these are kind of the standards that the group decides to live by, right? Um, to be part of that group. They had to meet the minimum requirements of an honor, of the honor code to get into the group. So if we're talking like the Knights of the Round Table or something like that, they had to do um, a certain amount, a minimum, to get into the group, right? Um, then we have an honor group. It's kind of like the Brotherhood, right? We talked about the military, the Navy SEALs, is that Brotherhood. Um, it's individuals that are committed to living that honor code. They come together and they say, this is the honor we're going to live by, and this is what we're going to do. Okay? And within that, there's three elements of the, of the group. They had to be equal. Everybody had to be equal. It had to be exclusive. And it had to be tight-knit and intimate, close-knit. It couldn't be uh, everybody far away. And it had to have shame. If you didn't live up to those standards... There had to be consequences for that, right? You would have shame. You would be excluded from the group and sorry <laughs> kind of thing. So he, this Brett McKay, he actually have a really good paragraph I'm going to read to you about what honor is. It's really kind of horizontal honor and what it means. He says he likes to think of horizontal honor as a membership card into a club. You get the card. You need to meet a baseline of criteria to get that card. When you present the card at the clubhouse door, you have access to all the rights and privileges of that club. Um, to maintain your status and inclusion in the club, you must conform to the club's rules. Failure to conform results in your membership card being taken away and exclusion from the club. So sometimes they talk, what we would see today, if a man, everybody has a, the men have a man card, right? And your man card could be taken away for what? <laughs> <laughs> drinking a fruity drink at the bar. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you take away your man card. It kind of is, well, it's a little bit, this is a little bit more serious than drinking a fruity drink. But anyway. <laughs> uh, vertical honor, let's talk about that. So it, vertical honor is not just the mutual respect within the group, but it's a guy who did above and beyond the honor code. So he lived at the honor code, the minimum standards, but then he went way above it. And so within the group, they would self-appoint him not to be the leader, but to be honored more. So he had more honor in the, vertical, in, in the group. They were still uh, equal people, but they were honored a little bit more. And it was, it was not self-appointed. It was the group doing it, which I thought was interesting. Um, a good example of this is a kid in school. You have, you, everybody knows this person. You might have been this person who does all their homework and then does a little bit more. <laughs> and what do they get rewarded with? What are they honored with? An A. <laughs> or extra credit, yes. <laughs> so they're still part of the group, right? They might end up at the end of the year or at the end of their school time as being the valedictorian. They're still part of the group. They're still equals with their group, but they just have a little bit more honor, right? So that's a good way to look at it. So uh, we see this honor this, we've, I've kind of described to you what it takes to have honor in an honor group. And, um, but
But where is it in our society today? Do we see it anywhere today? A few centuries ago, ago, there was many men who lived only for honor, right? They, and the ultimate humiliation was to be kicked out of that group, right? They would defend the honor of their wives and, and daughters and their friends, sometimes to the point of death. And they even would duel. I mean, we don't even think that's, we think that's crazy today. When we think of people du- dueling, it's like, what? Why would you do that? That's silly. <laughs> but what are they actually fighting for? Um, so how, does this, how did this change in our culture? How did we go from the, the times, I think honor has been forever, but I think the good example is the knights and the kings. How did it come from there to what we have today? So I think it's partly about how, our, how we have changed our culture in where we live. We used to live in rural communities, right? And we had to live together in a group, right? And we all kind of had the same ideas of what was right and wrong. We all kind of upheld those same things. And then, uh, so we had real honor in how we lived with one another. And then, mid-20th century, or late 20th century, everything started changing. We all lived in the cities, and we all had our own ideas of what was right and wrong. We didn't need the other person next to us. We had grocery stores right next to us, right? (laughs) We didn't have to fight for our food. We didn't have to come together as a group anymore. And so things have changed in our culture. And so the shift has occurred in one demonstrable way, in my opinion. We no longer have groups that we agree with a certain set of standards, right? We have no absolute truth. Even Mark talked about that a couple weeks ago. We have no absolute truth in our society anymore. You can have your truth, and I can have my truth, and I can live my truth, and you can live your truth. And we don't have to come together as a group. And so um, with a decrease of the value that we put on a a common set of absolute absolute truths, our society has lost, in my opinion, its sense of honor. We don't understand it anymore because we don't see it. And what happens is in this society, people can write their own honor code. Right? You can determine what's right and what's wrong. And then next week you can change it if you like, if it doesn't fit. Right? There's no... There's no accountability within the group to say, uh-uh, you can't do that. Like back in the nights, you, you know, the nights that said, you can't change our honor code. It's what we've agreed to and it's what you have to live to. So it all becomes about self. It's all become about self, right? My own self-esteem. I thought that was interesting. My own self-esteem. I put, I put respect and admiration towards me. Right? My own self-honor. I do what I think is right. These take the place of true honor. But true honor, like we saw before, starts with humility. Right? So let's see what God has to say about honor and use the framework I just showed you of what traditional honor would look like. I'm going to correlate traditional honor to the church, our, the church and the life, our life in Christ. So I'm going to kind of go backwards way. and Instead of doing honor code, honor group, shame, I'm going to start with shame and we're going to go backwards. So shame. In the scope of this discussion, 
we have no longer have any shame because of what Jesus has done for us, right? It no longer has the power to modify my behavior. The only thing that should modify my behavior is my love and my relationship for Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that should change the way I live. Because shame has no power over us anymore. He says in 1 Peter 6, verse 6, uh, 2, verse 6, Behold, I'm laying a Zion in the, a stone, a cornerstone, a chosen precious, and, and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So if we have believed in God and followed after him, we no longer have any shame. We're no longer kicked out of that group, right? We can't be kicked out of that honor group. The body of Christ, that is our honor group. We're all part of this honor group. Our membership card into the honor group is Jesus' blood and death and resurrection. He is the one who has done this for us. He has made us, taken us out of the world and placed us in his kingdom. We are now part of this honor group, all of us together. All we have to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we have a permanent access to this honor group. Eternal, immediate, forever. We did nothing to get it, did we? But we humbly accept it, right? Awesome. We, have, we can do nothing to be part of this honor group, only to believe, only to believe in him. He's done it all. So within this honor group, we have to have everybody being equal, right? That's if we're going by that definition, everybody's equal. So I'm going to go through the scripture. I'm going to read it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 26, and I'm going to read it to you in the message because I think it brings it to life again. Sometimes we read these scripture, we've read it forever, and we just read over the words. And so sometimes it's good to read it again in a different way. So I'm going to read it to you how we're all equal. There's no one that is greater than the other. As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part in the body right where he wanted it. But I also want to think, you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. Sounds like humility. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of, the body of Christ, right? An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body. It'd be a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling the hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or the head telling the foot, you're fired. Your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower part, the, the lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to a full-bodied hair? Well, I don't know, maybe. 
Mark. <laughs> the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. He pretty much just spelled it out for you. He just said, we're all equal. There's no one greater than, than another. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and the healing. One part flourishes, every part, other part enters into its exuberance. That's awesome. So we are part of this group, and it's, we're all equal there, right? There's nobody greater, greater than the other. And we're all part of an exclusive group too, right? 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are chosen, you're God's chosen treasure, priests and kings, a spiritual nation that's set apart. We're set apart out of the world. I even mentioned that earlier. So God has taken us and pulled us out, and we're an exclusive group, the body of Christ. And don't we sometimes, I do this, I don't know if you do, but if I'm in a place where there's, I wouldn't know if there's Christians or not, like wherever you would go to, even work. You'll talk to people. You're kind of got your feelers on. Are they Christian? Are they Christian? Are they part of the body of the Christ? Are they part of my honor group? Right? And then you, when you find out they are, you go, okay, we have something in common. We have, an, we have this thing, right? This honor code that we live by, right? It's kind of cool. <laughs> I do that. Um, and it has to be tight-knit and intimate, face-to-face. You can't be um, far apart. You can't have an honor group that doesn't get together and hold one another up and minister to one another. And just like it said um, in 1 Corinthians about they're part of the he- we're part of your healing. The, bo- the people that are sitting around you today, your honor group that is all right here, this little one here, we're part of the bigger body of Christ, but we're also part of this little one here. These are the people that help you with your healing. These are the people who joy... Have joy when you have joy. These are the people that bring you healing. That's the way it's supposed to be. But you have to be face-to-face. You have to be here, living together. And that's what God says in Hebrews 10. So this is not a time to pull away or neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage one another, and urge each other as we anticipate that day dawning, right? <laughs> We're supposed to be together. We're supposed to live transparently in relationship with one another. So let's talk about the honor code. It's my favorite part. Because <laughs> it's very practical. I like practical things. I like, tell me what i got to do. <laughs> right? So I'm going to start back kind of. Where does it begin? It begins with humility again, Right? Going back to Dave Powers, thank you, Dave. It's agreeing with how God sees that other person. It's really coming, not what I believe that person is, but what God says that person is. So we have to start there. And God says he will honor those who honor him. Okay, that's kind of like a cycle, like the water, I I likened it to the water cycle, right? Uh, Water evaporates and goes up into the sky, and then it falls down, and it goes back up, and it falls down. And it's kind of like that with honor, right? That's what God says. 
God says he will honor those who honor him. So as I'm honoring God, he brings me honor. As I honor God, he brings me honor. Kind of cool. So the honor code we live by, there's lots of things in the scripture. I mean, I couldn't come up with a list. I mean, it's huge. And even my list here, I took out four or five things. <laughs> so, um, but there's specifically what God says about how to gain honor. And they all begin with humility. And so we're going to go through these scriptures really quick. Avery, thank you. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, Avoiding strife is an honor for a person, but any fool will quarrel. That's another ouch. I'm always preaching to the choir because I do that too. I mean, yeah, how many times have I stirred up strife? In my family? In my job? You know, I'm I'm disgruntled and I want somebody to know about it, right? How upset I am. But God says if you want honor, you need to avoid that strife. You need to walk away, turn away, go away from it. And that's actually an act of humility. That's saying that the person that I'm upset with, I'm not going to speak against them, right? I'm going to honor them. I'm not going to speak against them. And I'm going to choose to see that person the way God sees them. Number two, you honor God with your wealth. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruit of all your produce. So again, this is another act of humility. It's saying to God, what I have is all is came from you. Every bit, every penny that I have, every thing of wealth that I have is from you. It's nothing I have done. And that's another act of humility, right? Is recognizing that it comes from our God. Proverbs 14:31. Be kind to the needy. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. I'm going to read that again. You need to hear that. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever's kind to the needy honors God. Has nothing to do with that person. If you're taking care of the needy and being kind to the poor, he's saying, that's honoring me. That's showing worth and honor towards me and reverence towards me. And so when I'm not doing that, it's actually dishonoring God. Ah. Ah. Ouch. That's my saying. Ouch. <laughs> John 12:26. Serving Jesus. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Again, another act of humility. Being a servant is laying down your life for that person and saying, I'm going to serve that person. Or, or that, our God, right? We're going to lay down our life. We're in humility, lay down our life and serve him. Proverbs 13, 20, 18 says we need to heed correction. Poverty and disgrace come to, come to the one who refuses to hear criticism, but the one who is easy to correct is on the path to honor. So when I say, oh, I messed up in my, with my husband, I, don't, I should do it more. Sorry, honey. <laughs> uh, 
I've messed up and I made a mistake. That's definitely humility, right? That's hard to do. Hard, very hard to do. So let's talk about vertical honor. In my opinion, there are two types of vertical honor in the body of Christ that we see today. Um, first of all, it's for the pastors and the elders. Paul, Paul says something very specific about honoring our elders. In 1 Timothy 5.17, he said, Let elder, the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That's double honor. So what that means is, when I have an issue, I'm going to honor you. Andy, Chris, Mark, I'm going to honor you. And then I'm going to do it again. I'm not just going to do it twice once. I'm going to do it twice. And God, has, God again, has placed these people. They're not self-appointed. God has placed these people in our midst to have vertical honor that we're honoring they're, they're still equal to us, right? They're still part of the body of Christ, but they're honored a little bit more. They have, they, they're worthy of double honor. We should be careful not to speak against them. We should attribute worth to them, and we should show respect and admiration and reverence to them. And then we should do it again, since it says they're worthy of double honor. In transparent living and living with other people, in the way we're supposed to, we see their flesh come out. We, you see my flesh come out, right? It's sometimes hard to, we don't like it. <laughs> but then we have to honor. Just like you have to honor the person next to you, you know, when, that, when your flesh comes out, and okay, I'm going to honor you. But when you see theirs, you need to go twice. <laughs> so the second person, obviously, this is the more obvious one, who is honoring we need to honor Jesus, right? Our King and our Lord. He's the ultimate focus of our honor. He is the one who exemplifies the perfect Christian walk, the honor code, right? Uh, he should get all the glory and honor forever and ever. He is in the highest place of vertical honor. What he did for us demonstrated his honor for us and his Father. He attributed worth to us so much so that he was obedient to death on the cross. And he revered his, revered, revered, sorry, his father so much that he laid down his life for us because God told him to. Right? It was the plan. So God kind of switched up as a, in worship today. He kind of switched up my ending. So I'm going to skip a couple things and we're going to go with what God does, Okay. So all these things that we've, I've talked to you about, honoring how to show honor, avoiding strife, honoring God with our wealth, being kind to the needy, serving Jesus, heeding correction, those are just a small list of what it means to live a life of honor. Um, we're supposed to, in Romans, it's kind of interesting, 12.10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection, affection, outdo one another in showing honor. A competition. <laughs> As any of my kids would know, I'm a competitive person. <laughs> I like to win. <laughs> so, here we go. Let's outdo one another in, in showing honor. Right? So, you're showing honor. I'm going to do it better. <laughs> I'm going to do it better. So, as we go 
who wanted to come up? Maybe. So as a people, I want to talk about the purpose of the worship today. The worship was so good. Thank you, Dave. But I don't want you to go through the motions on a Sunday anymore because there's a reason that we do this. I'm on the worship team, and there's a reason we do this. It really is um, to show, first to show honor to God. But as weary knights who have come in from the battle, every week is a battle, right? Every week. doesn't matter how good the week was. There's something that we came across that, wow, it was hard, right? And as knights and knights, we come in here and we lay our swords down. And we honor our God. We take our focus off of ourselves and we put it on our God. And all the songs he did today were about the goodness of our God. So we lay down our battle garb, our swords, and we come in here. And the reason we're here is to honor our God and to honor the people around us and to live this life of the honor code. And as we honor our God, he honors us. He brings us honor. I want you so much to cultivate a spirit of honor in your life. Because I think if we go back to the scripture, honor your father and mother, because it's the first commandment with a promise, because you'll live well. I think we can take the jump. That if you live an honorable life, if you live with honor and purpose to live with honor, your life will be well and you'll live a long life. I think that's what he really desires for us, right? He wants us to live an honor, a life of honor so that we can be seen as this honor group, the body of Christ, and they'll know us by our love for one another, right? So as we honor one another, as we honor the people that he's placed in, in, in us, that do, in front of us, that are supposed to teach and preach to us, as we do that, he honors me. And he gets the honor. And it's very important to him, going back to the first thing. He was pretty angry with, when there was dishonor in the group, right? Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. He wasn't happy. He was so mad he came down. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> and we're going to deal with this. Right? So I, I encourage you to apply traditional honor in your life today. Knights had to live by the honor code to get in. But Jesus did that for you. He did it for you. He lived that honor code to perfection, so I don't have to. I'm going to try to, but I don't have to. I'm still accepted. I'm still loved, right? And I have the permanent card because it was sealed with his blood. And knights had to live the honor code to stay in that group. They had to continually do it on their own strength. But the Holy Spirit does that through us, right? When I'm struggling to honor that person, God, Holy Spirit, come help me. I do not want to sow seeds of dishonor. Show me. Help me. Help me to not dishonor this person. Or dishonor you in any way.
And when they failed, knights failed, they were excluded from the group. And they deserve shame. But we live under a new covenant, don't we? Jesus took our shame fully and totally. We no longer have to live under that shame. So my encouragement to you is to live a life that is honorable by the power of the Holy Spirit. And live within this honor group that we have here with transparency. Build one another up. Help that person heal when they come in from the battle for that week. Help them heal. Bandage them up. Don't dishonor them. Bandage them up and send them out again to fight another day. So I want you to respect those around us and and revere our God so that it may be well with you for honor, right?